Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 26th of February 2023, 9.30 service. Ruth Henson speaking in the series, Outsiders Come to God, The Sheep and the Goats. Well, as we've heard, we've reached the end of our series entitled Outsiders Come to God. And each instalment has offered challenge and inspiration as to how we can become more effective at sharing God's love with those who feel that they are on the outside. Each week we have met Bible characters with different reasons for feeling like they are on the outside and have learnt from their stories about God's love and care for everyone and his call for us to do the same. So why are we ending the series with a talk named after farm animals rather than another human character? This parable of Jesus about the sheep and the goats is famous enough that the phrase separating the sheep from the goats has come to be used in a variety of circumstances to mean sorting out the good from the bad, probably without many realising that they are quoting the Bible. But it's also a parable which has caused controversy, from debate about if it should count as a parable at all, to questions about whether it contradicts the doctrine of salvation and justification coming through faith and grace, if it is teaching that judgment will be decided by the action or inaction of those who claim to follow Jesus. We'd better take a closer look then. And let's first consider the animals which Jesus chooses to use in his analogy. For us here in the UK, the images of sheep and goats which will spring to mind are not the most helpful in understanding the nuances of Jesus's choice. We are used to thinking of sheep as white fluffy creatures and goats as wiry short-haired bearded animals just like those up on the screen now. But take a look at these examples. Which is the sheep and which is the goat? You might be surprised to learn that the goat-like animal on the left is an American black-belly sheep and the fluffy creature on the right is an Angora goat. But in some parts of the world, it gets even more confusing, as I experienced on a trip to the Gambia many years ago. Unfortunately, I couldn't lay my hands on my own photos, which I only have print copies of, so we'll have to make do with a stock image from the internet. I was visiting Mercy Tete, who some of you will know, when she was doing a short-term mission placement in the Gambia. On one of our trips out, we passed a man walking along with a flock of animals. Mercy asked us whether we thought he was a shepherd or a goat herd. And we decided that goat herd seemed to be the correct answer. I was, however, open to being wrong and wondered whether African sheep might be more lean and wiry, like the goats we're used to. But I was surprised when the answer came that he was in fact both, because his flock was a mixture of sheep and goats. She explained that in that terrain, it was better to have a mixed flock, because when vegetation was scarce, the different animals could graze in different areas of the land. 
the farmer would need to be able to tell the difference between them so that he could guide them to the pasture best suited to their diet. And the key feature to help him with his classification was apparently the tail, because goat tails stick up and sheep tails hang down. Who knew? You'll be looking next time you're near a farm, I can guarantee it. Such a mixed flock as this would also have been a common sight to those listening to Jesus' words. So they would have understood that Jesus was making the point that it is not always outwardly obvious to recognise the distinctions between the metaphorical sheep and goats he is describing. Someone might seem to be one, but actually be the other. But who is Jesus actually referring to when he speaks of the sheep and the goats? Those listening to Jesus would be familiar with the prophecy from Ezekiel, which we heard in our first passage. And they would know that Jesus had acknowledged that he himself is the foretold shepherd. So they would immediately be alert to his spin on the prophesied judgment between the sheep and the goats. In our passage from Matthew 25, we see that the people in question are split between Jesus's right and left as he sits on his throne in glory. He addresses them each in turn, blessing those classed as sheep who have demonstrated God's love and compassion in various ways, but condemning those described as goats due to their lack of love and care. You can see where the controversy comes in, as it could seem as though eternal life is being accessed through the actions the sheep have carried out rather than because of God's grace and their faith in the saving work of Jesus. But a closer inspection of the passage shows that their kingdom inheritance has been prepared by God since the creation of the world, rather than being newly earned due to their good works. Rather than being the root to their salvation, these acts of love and compassion are the result of their salvation. They have experienced God's sacrificial and transforming love, care and compassion for themselves. And they are now overflowing with that same love, which they in turn demonstrate wonderfully to others. And did you notice that Jesus even makes it clear that they weren't doing it to gain points or impress God? because when he celebrates what they have done for him through their help and care of others, they are genuinely surprised and cannot think what he is referring to. It has just become second nature as they strive to emulate and share the love they have received. And what of the goats? If we think back to the closeness and appearance of sheep and goats in the area Jesus was speaking in, Jesus is presumably making the point that although these people most likely look the part, joining in with all the religious activities and saying the right things, the evidence shows that they cannot have known for themselves personally the transformative power of Jesus' love, because there is no sign of it welling up in their own lives as a response to what has been done for them. I think it's pretty sobering to realise 
that Jesus is not only taking account of the times I do actually take the opportunity to help someone and share some of his love with them, but that he's also observing all of the times when I fail to take those opportunities because I'm too busy or too wrapped up in myself or it seems like too much effort or I don't even notice that there is a need to address. Some of the confessions we use remind us of this too. For example, asking for God's forgiveness because we have left undone those things that we ought to have done. Becoming more like Jesus, as the sheep do who follow the shepherd, is not only about stopping sinful behaviour, but is just as much about accepting the mission we have been given and seizing opportunities to serve, even if these are outside of our comfort zone or will require time and effort. That all sounds pretty black and white, doesn't it? But I think it's important for us to acknowledge that no one will be 100% sheep and no one will be 100% goat. In reality, we are all a mixture of the two. We need to be asking God through the work of his Holy Spirit to increase our sheepiness and make our goaty days fewer and fewer. A friend of mine once told me of a quick-witted response he made when someone accusingly said to him, the church is full of hypocrites. He immediately responded, no, there's room for plenty more. Fortunately, he didn't leave it there and went on to explain about the gap between the standards we aspire to following the example of Jesus, but the struggle we face as we continue to wrestle with our sinful human nature. Even Paul acknowledges this when he says in Romans 7 verses 18 to 25, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've thought about the sheep and the goats, and the fact that in reality we're a combination of the two. But there's a third group of people mentioned in the passage who we haven't considered yet, and they are where the outsiders of our sermon series title come in. Jesus refers to them as the least of these, or the least of these brothers and sisters of mine. But to help the people understand, he goes into more explicit detail. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, 
and you clothed me. I was ill, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. That's quite a range of care being shown, from the simple act of giving a drink to someone who is thirsty, to the much more challenging and outside your comfort zone act of visiting someone in prison. But the common denominator is that, without really realising or understanding it, the sheep have recognised Jesus in those they have served, seeing the fact that these people, considered the least of these by society, are made in Jesus' image and are loved by him and deemed worthy of rescue and redemption. The sheep have also recognised that, more often than not, sharing the gospel of God's transforming love, grace and mercy needs to begin with practical acts of love which address physical needs, rather than solely focusing on preaching the truths which will address their spiritual needs. Jesus gives us the ultimate example of a love which, will, which rolls its sleeves up and gets its hands dirty. Just look at who he spends his time with during his ministry on earth. It was rarely the social elite and was far more likely to be those considered the least of these. 1 John 3 verses 16 to 18 puts it like this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I was thinking about that phrase, the least of these. In Jesus' day, one example of those considered in that way would have been people with leprosy. The standard response to someone with that disease was to alienate and isolate them, and certainly to give them a wide berth and never touch them. Yet Jesus willingly offered not only healing and restoration, but also the practical outpouring of his love and compassion by reaching out and touching those who would have been starved of such affection for so long. Coincidentally, today we are marking Leprosy Mission Sunday, where we pray for the work of the charity, striving to eradicate that disease and bring the healing and restoration that Jesus offered. My mum is our church rep for that charity, and thanks to those of you who have ordered from their Christmas catalogue or donated you stamps, Christchurch is playing a part in that mission. But we don't have leprosy sufferers here in the UK, so who are the least of these for us in New Malden in 2023? I've been struck by the stories of Ukrainian refugees which have been told in recent days as we have marked the first anniversary of the Russian invasion. We also constantly hear of the struggles of those driven into poverty by the cost of living crisis or crippled by debt. 
the fallout from the pandemic has fueled a steep rise in the number of people battling with mental health issues or addiction. And then there are the invisible causes of pain and isolation, such as grief or loneliness. Who is God putting on your heart to serve in the days, weeks and months ahead? There are opportunities for such service here at church, for example, with our lunch club, Grapevine. And we should strive as a church community to find more and more ways to work together to serve those on the margins. But we also need to be on the lookout for the individual and personal ways we can serve our neighbours, colleagues, friends, and even the strangers who happen to cross our paths, recognising Jesus in these people and being ready to meet their needs, whether that involves something small and easy or something requiring time and effort. When I was preparing for this talk, I came across a sermon illustration shared by an American pastor, Leah Waldron, which I found helpful and challenging. So I thought I would finish our talk with that. Where are we most likely to find this king who rules all creation? In those who are vulnerable, cast aside, lost. That those who struggle are the very place Jesus tells us to find him says a lot about what kind of sovereign he is and about the dignity and worth of every person, no matter how downtrodden. I have to admit, I'm preaching to myself a bit here, Leah says. It used to be easy for me to catch glimpses of Jesus in others, footing grocery bills for homeless friends, praying with inmates struggling with not being at home to raise their kids, rocking a hospitalised baby. Sounds pretty amazing to me. But I've been rather goatish lately. Maybe you can relate. As a wife and mum working full time and with my own interests and passions, it can feel like there aren't enough hours in the week to look after anyone but my flock, my family and myself, and not even all three of those sometimes. None of those commitments are bad. Us goats of the world aren't awful people. We're just used to taking care of our business and assuming we'll encounter Jesus in our prayers and in church on Sunday morning, where we expect him to be. I've noticed, though, that as I've gotten more wrapped up in checking off my to-do lists and crafting worship liturgy and looking after what's mine, I've been missing Jesus. That might sound odd, because as a pastor, I'm breathing church, the place that's all about Jesus, 24-7. And a large part of my work is spending time with our sick and tending to our needy. But it's true. Recently, I'd begun to feel like I hadn't seen him in weeks. Then last week, while I was working on this sermon, Christine texted me to say that someone who was not a church member had called the office for financial assistance. We were leaving for New York State in a matter of hours, and I had not packed my bag yet, or Davy's bag, or fed the cat, or filled the cooler, or even taken a shower. Do you know what my first reaction was? I do not have time for this. Oh, the irony. But yes, 
I was running the impossible logistics in my head and indignantly fuming that someone had called on the very day I had a million other things to do, including finishing a sermon about ignoring people in need. Then I stopped and laughed at myself. In my experience, God has a great sense of humour and said, thank you, Holy Spirit, and not just for the sermon illustration. Jesus is not in the business of limiting where he shows up to Sunday morning or to the lives of those we already know and love. That's part of why we need the voice of the shepherd calling us to care for those on the margins of our lives, people whom it would be inconvenient to serve or uncomfortable to care for. So what I want to know this morning, friends, is where is the shepherd calling you? Where is Jesus longing for you to notice his presence in the face of someone you would usually ignore? Because I'm convinced that the power of this illustration is not found in our fear about dying and being judged worthy of either heaven or hell, but in its ability to help us realise that we can create either heaven or hell here on earth right now both for those we serve and for ourselves. Amen.